Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Colin, we are back. The final Silver Club episode of 2020. It's beautiful here in Connecticut, so it's going to be a white Christmas. Great. Uh, it's it is beautiful. I've been uh, been doing a lot of sledding locally uh, and just laying low. Looking forward to 2021. How about yeah, you? yeah, I know. It's it's. I guess it's kind of bittersweet, right? It's it's been one of these years. It's been really. The world has, has faced something that we have never faced before, at least in our lifetime. And and now, yeah, we're, we're fortunate that golf is one of those sports that we're able to, to keep playing, right? It's the outdoor game that has really thrived this year. I mean, you look at every pro I've talked with, their rounds are up 30, 40 percent. I mean, it's, it's really maybe in, in this crazy way been a big blessing for the game. And at the same time, it's been challenging. I mean, from your perspective, I guess, right, trying to conduct a, a golf season at Yale and everything like that. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's been an interesting year that we've had to kind of pivot and we've utilized a lot of different ways of technology and that we haven't before. And it's in a way, it's been a great learning year, too. Listen, golf was up 50 million rounds this year. It was the ultimate silver lining to the sort of lifestyle cho- choices, we were, lifestyle changes we were forced to make. And uh, God bless the game for so many people. It was the ultimate recreation, brought families together. Like, um, you know, and I, and I think, I think that the game is, it kind of, it's going to take advantage of this sort of the surge and it's going to, it's going to have repercussions for a long time. Um, it's, it is uh it's a healthy sport it's a great lifestyle game it's underrated as we know and <laughs> i think people saw people saw the people saw the sort of the joy it brings the the opportunity to be outside with others yeah so the my great, heart, my, such yeah, value yeah i you know i uh heart my heart breaks for the kids who are missing out on their sort of college careers you know i'm, I'm i have a lot of empathy for my seniors especially, um, you know, the three who are going to graduate in uh, May. And if you had said in October of their junior year, when they sort of, when we completed the final round at the Maidstone Invitational, in sort of early October, that that was their final, their final stroke played as a competitive stroke as a Yale golfer. Unreal. Uh, Unreal. 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 Well, well, hey, I but, guess the silver lining is they're going to get a degree from Yale, right? I know. <laughs> There's nothing wrong yeah. with that, right? I guess maybe uh, better than the. You know, I love my University of Florida, but it's no Yale, right? Well, <laughs> you know, we all have the optimism of 2021. I think you know we're all going to. It's our. It's on us to be patient about this vaccine. It's coming. It's going to. Things will. There will be a normalization. And I and I and I think every golfer is going to you know when when we finally get back to the sort of full style of tournaments and the real sort of large group events, there will be a, a level of gratitude about everything twenty when we get back to sort of normal things. And I agree in the sort of long term benefits of of a 
appreciation and gratitude for sort of the way it was and the way it will be again. We'll, we'll all be better for it. Yeah, huge level of gratitude. There's no question about that. And yeah, we're uh, we're really looking forward. Let's just look before we look forward to what's going on uh, in 21, especially with our Silver Club Golfing Society calendar. Let's take just take a look back and be uh, a little reflective on this year as far as maybe some of the, the the great places we did get to see. Right. I mean, I know from from our perspective, we got to go places that we hadn't gone before. Prairie Dunes. Colorado Golf Club. I mean, going to a couple of these venues where I got to go to Trinity Forest. We had a great team match against the Inverness Club members. Steve, I I got so much uh, joy, vicarious joy from all the places you were going and playing and the enthusiasm you had and and all the sort of fun. It it was obvious everyone was having. What, for you, of places you had maybe seen you were seeing for the first time this year what was your sort of uh most unexpected surprise i have to say it was in chicago on the south side of chicago was our very first event we had uh we had really a a truncated season we really didn't start until the end of august we went to a great club called flossmore on the south side of chicago right down the street it was actually we played our event the same day as the first round of the bmw championship that was played at olympia fields uh, which was pretty cool that John Rahm ended up winning. But uh, we were right down the street from that. Too bad we couldn't have hopped the fence and, and gone to see any play. But Flossmoor was really, really fun. We had to make a pivot from the Onwensia Club, which is on the north side of town. And with COVID, they wouldn't allow us to play. Hopefully, we'll be able to go back there uh, next year in 21. But Flossmoor was really unbelievable. It was it was this old school, like you felt like you're going back in time a little bit, but the golf course was pristine. Uh, some new ownership, a uh, uh, gentleman by the name, a uh, PJ professional by the name of George Goich, he and his brother uh, uh, and some some gentlemen, they, they purchased Flossmoor. It was, they had rehabilitated it and they're still, uh, they just really took it over this year. And man, it was, the timing was, was pretty good for them. But Flossmoor was excellent. I really loved Colorado Golf Club too. Uh, Core Crenshaw, just outside of Denver. Uh, number one, the ball goes really far out there. That was cool. Uh, but number two, the strategy of this golf course was so amazing. The 16th hole there. I mean, they'd hosted the U.S. Mid-Am in 2019 with one of our former podcast guests, Lucas Michelle. He won the Mid-Amateur there in 2019. And this 16th hole there is a really is a short par five, but it's, it's a split fairway. It's got this beautiful creek kind of running down the middle. You'd want to hit it down the right side of the fairway, which is smaller, but it provides a better angle into the green. Uh, it, the green kind of runs up and away from you and the ball can almost get into the, the water and the penalty area. And it, I don't know, just tremendous, uh, Colorado golf club was, was really a tremendous venue. Uh, we, we had a ton of fun out there and, but, uh, they, have, they might have some of the prettiest native playable natives of any course I've seen. I remember just, yeah, that was that sort of that. The out of play areas are so attractive and just, I, just thin and dry and wispy and, you know, almost a fire hazard, at least somewhere I was never being there where like it was just that tinder, but it was beautiful. It is, it is. And the, and the sort of that dry air, the thin air, we actually can hit the ball like we were, like we were young again when we were out there. How about you? How about you? Where did you, where did you travel to this year that you were 
that you really liked. And it could be, let's, you can even pick non-golf venues. I mean, what, what sort of things did this COVID experience uh, this year really bring to you? What positives? Well, I would, so if I was to reflect on the year that was, uh, I saw a few new courses and, but I will say that at the time I remember appreciating it and then it only grew more so as uh, COVID sunk in, but um, we were very fortunate to have a mild winter. Remember, I back in like late January, February, early March, I think as many as 20 to 25 times we had uh, players on the team come to the Yale course um, at the start of the semester before spring break. We were out there all the time and we had these like just playable, sunny, days when it was 39 or 42 degrees and when you're walking carrying your right. bag and with layers and and i remember being tremendously grateful and in the moment about how how much i enjoyed all of it and the course looked wonderful and uh and then of course everything got turned sideways and the season was canceled but um i i have a just a really sort of beautiful nostalgia for that for the for the golf we did get the times, the amount of days we were out there and the amount of times kids were practicing and we played sort of seven or 12 holes or, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of feel uh, grateful for that opportunity that we had because that was otherwise we had a few days in the fall with the team. Uh, and I did have about three day, three or four days in early, uh, in early October when we were able to sort of, when we were in a phase two and we were practicing. So uh, <clears throat> the little, the little opportunities that I got, I, I'm very grateful. For. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, another thing we are grateful for were all the great podcast guests that we had this year. This is our 47th episode. I uh, kind of can't believe that. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been really fun. Uh, we've been super busy the last last few months, so I haven't popped out as much as many podcasts as I would have loved to do. But uh, you know, that being said, we had a lot of really fun ones. Uh, a couple of my faves were, you know, going back to we had Dan Hicks, NBC. His voice has been iconic in so many uh, great moments in the game. Uh, you think about Tiger Woods in the 2008 U.S. Open and expecting anything different. And he actually told that story to us of how he kind of came up with that. And uh, But a, a really great listen with, with Dan. In the middle part of the year, we had Jim McLean, a great, wonderful swing instructor for many, many, many years down in South Florida. He's down at the Biltmore Coral Gables right near Miami. He had so many great ideas and thoughts about about the game. And I mean, he was a great player himself uh, back in the day. He still can play gorgeous golf swing. And then and then a podcast you and I did that you can elaborate on a little bit. Uh, Neil Regan, we had uh, the historian from Wingfoot uh, on just before the U.S. Open. And that was a tremendous account of and great stories about that U.S. Open site this year. I, I loved uh, the U.S. Open that week. I loved our call with, with Neil. I love, Steve, I love, I love everything that you've done, the, the sort of niche that it is. I, I, am, I just, uh, I think it's an odd, I, I think the people you've interviewed all have the same love and passion for the game. 
in one way or another have dedicated themselves to it. You should you should feel good about the uh, body of work and the accomplishments of all of your interviews. It's you you're talking to these people brings out the best in them. It's a it's a it's it's a it's a perfect fit. So you don't get enough opportunities to receive it any sort of depth like this. But <laughs> well, well, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. You know, we're 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 all in this thing, and we're all. Uh, you know, we're all just trying to connect all of our listeners to this great game that we love. And I mean, it's really simple. It's a really simple formula, this this golf thing. You know, we just want to we want people to feel like they are one with the game. Right. So uh, hopefully we will keep on doing that into into the next year. Uh, not hopefully we'll definitely do that. We, we're just going to keep getting some uh, some new new guests. And uh, if any of our listeners out there want to uh, throw in some ideas of some podcast guests, please do treat, please hit us up on social media at silver club golf on Instagram and Twitter and hop on our Facebook page as well. And, and our website, silverclubgs.com. And you're going to learn a lot about our golfing society. And we've had a lot of fun uh, before we get to our podcast guest, JJ Colleen, we've got to talk about our, our future venues for our events and that's really it's it's uh it was really funny colin we have uh like you do with the outpost club on silver club side we have a bubble chat where a lot of our members are involved and we'll banter back and forth uh with a text message of where's our latest golf coming from or whatever the case is or or a good joke but uh the members were truly excited it was like like a kid on christmas eve when we were teasing out the schedule uh, a little bit beforehand, I throw out a picture of a place maybe like Chichesi Creek in near Hilton Head, where we're going to have our first match play major of the year. Uh, everybody was really they were chomping at the bit, wanting to know, you know, where are we going to play this next year? And uh, just like a kid on Christmas Eve. But uh, a couple of our venues, I'll just throw a few out there to you. Chichesi Creek is, is one of them. Uh, we're going to head out to the Hamptons. In New York, uh, West Hampton and the bridge. We tried to do that this last year and we had to uh, call an audible on that. But that's going to be fun. Rolling Green and Philadelphia. And maybe that's a place you've heard of. It's a William Flynn design. We're going to go out to Bally Neal out in Colorado, uh, about three hours outside Denver. We've got another match play major out there. And that's kind of a little bit of the theme of the schedule this year, Colin, is is we we have stroke play events uh that's kind of where we've gone but we're we're leaning into some more match play uh we we for our silver club championship we had we instituted uh a stroke play qualifying into a match play and the match play portion was just so much fun it brought out so much camaraderie amongst the players we like that and we want to do some more of that so and i know as a true historian of the game match play is near and dear to your heart <laughs> Match play is what I, I was always a good match play was suited me because I would have about, you know, 16 or 17 good holes and at least one disaster every round. Uh, that's the beauty of being able to <laughs> pick up from it. And it changes your attitude and you attack and it's head to head and the vicissitudes of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, the what? The, vis- uh, the that's the a that's suddenly, a Yale that's a Yale word there. What was that? The Say suddenly that again? Change, the, the vicissitudes, the suddenly changing fortunes. <laughs> Nothing is more exciting in match play than having the advantage, losing the advantage, gaining the advantage, all within a few strokes. To me, that is 
uh, so much fun. And it's one hole at a time. And it, yeah, I don't, you know, we all understand what, what match play is, but each stroke is so much more relevant. If, it, it, you know, a five footer to push the hole is different than just a five footer for par. That uh, you know, you can always pick it up. But uh, I'm glad to see that, and it and it, it should be. And by the way, the great the great competitions, U.S. Amateur, the, the British Amateur, they are they're a, they're almost always a blend of the two. Yeah, uh, at least on the certainly on the amateur side. Yeah, I, no we question. All we all understand why stroke play is sort of the sort of the game for the sort of the professional game. You're going to, you're going to sort out the winner in, in four days gotta have a tv sort of sure well well speaking about speaking about amateur golf uh i'd be remiss if if i didn't tout our uh our one venue uh late august we are going this year uh august 25th 2021 is the 25th anniversary of that crazy tiger woods steve scott u.s amateur final out there at uh, at pumpkin ridge and we are going to have an event we're going to call the anniversary and uh, we'll go out to Pumpkin Ridge, maybe get out to one of the other great venues out there in the Portland area, whether it's Waverly or Portland Golf Club or uh, one of those. But uh, Pumpkin Ridge will be in play. Maybe they'll put the same whole locations we had for the finals or something and uh, tell some stories. Maybe we'll even make a trip to the Nike factory store out there, which is right down the street. And Pumpkin Ridge, Portland is another venue we'll go to. Uh, we'll head back to Prairie Dunes. That's a fantastic venue out there just, just outside of Wichita, Kansas. The Old Town Club, we'll, we'll make a return engagement to, to my newly adopted or relatively newly adopted hometown. Those are some of the great venues we'll get to play. And it, it's just we'll hit all the major markets this year, including Chicago and the Atlanta area and even get to the uh, mountains in North Carolina and maybe even Rochester, New York up there with a couple of major championship venues. So stay tuned on that one, everybody. I guess this is the last one for the year. And and any final uh, final thoughts that you have before we get to our pod this this week? Well, I, I'm i definitely looking forward to 2021. Uh, looking forward to the sort of the return to competition for the, for the college kids in the fall. Um, working on a fun project our our spring invitational is uh every april and for 10 years i've had this marvelous photographer come to our event and uh sort of best golf photographer no one's ever heard of is this guy david ottenstein and one day a year he's a golf photographer the rest hmm. of the year he's a fine art photographer and, uh, working on uh narrowing down the list of his 8300 images he's taken in those, that decade to uh, probably the best 200 for a book, but um, just uh, I, I'm uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely uh, looking forward to uh, a chance to get to travel and, and play golf. I, there's no question I I, I miss that and and um, my heart is set on at least one sort of return trip to Europe at some point, hopefully in July or August. To, get back to either Ireland or France or England, any, any, any chance I could sort of, uh, uh, you know, get over there and play a little golf uh, overseas would, would be the type of thing to look forward to, 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 to keep me uh, positive and 
and feeling great. Yeah, well, well, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that great stuff to you and your family and all of the families out there listening. Can't thank you all enough. We've got 47 of these under our belt now. We can't thank all of our listeners and audience enough for for all the support throughout these couple of years that now that we have uh, that we have done and looking forward to year three and and we'll have to make a good plan for our 50th episode here coming up soon. So uh, stay tuned on that one. But uh, thanks, Colin, for all the great insight that you've given throughout the year. And thank you, Steve. Good luck to you. You're doing great. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy New Year. All right, Colin, just one final note of thanks to everybody who has listened, subscribed to our Silver Club podcast over these 47 episodes, these two years now that we've been in existence. We cannot thank you enough. It's just been a tremendous run so far, and we are far from stopping this train. Remember to hop on our website, silverclubgs.com. And check out our golfing society and everything we stand for. As well as make sure you go on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to chat with each and every one of you about our golfing society and all of the great places we get to go on a weekly and monthly basis. It's just a tremendous schedule. Some of the most compelling venues you'd ever want to go play from the greatest architects golf has ever known. And you have the opportunity as well in 2021 to be our captain of the golf, our Silver Club Championship points leader. Come play in our events, amass enough points, and you can get your name etched on that silver golf ball that attaches to our silver club forever. Also, one final note of thanks to our sponsors of our Silver Club Golfing Society. The Turtleson Company, the Winston Collection, and Torch Eyewear. Thank you all for everything you've done in support of our society and your continued support in 2021. We cannot thank you enough, and our members are loving all of your great products. Okay, without further ado, our final podcast of 2020, J.J. Colleen, the 2011 Player of the Year on the Nationwide Tour. Enjoy this great podcast. All right, extra special day here on the Silver Club Podcast. We've got J.J. Killeen, professional golfer extraordinaire. He was the leading money winner player of the year on the Nationwide Tour, now called the Corn Ferry Tour back in 2011. Welcome, J.J., to the Silver Club Podcast. Extraordinaire is a little extreme to say the least. I'm a driving range pro, man. That's that's where I stand in my life. Well, you're. I think you're a little bit more than that. You've you've done a hell of a lot more than that. But uh, first of all, if you don't follow JJ on social media, you are living in a hole. He's one of the funniest follows. I mean, I know you're a pro golfer. You've won many times professionally on the big tours, but I mean, the comedy routine is just brilliant. Thanks. Unfortunately, that's just me. And that's, I mean, my wife doesn't think it's funny. She's had to deal with me for a long time, but just keeping it real, man. Sometimes I, uh, after a few surveys, as I probably say and pop off and do a couple of things I shouldn't on there, but Hey, it's for the people. It's for the people. 
<laughs> well, you bring it to the people. All right. Well, let's just, uh, you know, for, for those who don't don't know you, let's just go back just a little bit. Talk about some of your, your upbringing in the game. You went to TCU. Let's talk a little bit about junior golf leading into college and then and then leading into your pro career. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up, I grew up in San Diego, California, kind of a golf hotbed. Um, but, you know, I learned how to play probably when I was seven or eight years old. Um, and my dad taught me to play. I don't think I had a lesson until I was about 16, but, you know, ironically enough, I played like every single sport, even football in high school. So I really didn't specialize in golf. We play on the weekend. We play one day a week. We play Sunday morning and we like do sweep. My rounds from when I was like eight years old to 16 consisted of some summer tournaments and then do sweeping at like 6.30 a.m. on Sunday, man. Um, but but it was it was awesome. And, you know, like you I said, my once. dad was a you good player. You played one, once a week. That's crazy. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's it. Except for the summer. In the summer, there'd be tournaments, right? So play little tournaments and never really anything big. San Diego uh, Junior Golf kind of has a pretty big contingency out there when I was a kid, but I, I, I never even thought about going anywhere other than a 20 minute drive from my house to play a golf tournament really um, until I was kind of in high school and I was decent. Like I could, I could break par probably when I was 12 or 13 years old um, and playing a lot of other sports really helped me. But anyway, to make a long story short, I, I uh, went through my sophomore year of high school in San Diego and I broke my arm, like had a horrible break when I was uh, uh, playing football in high school and, you know, that kind of ended all my other sports, if you will. So I was like, man, I better do something else easy, like play golf if I want to do anything. So, <laughs> Oh, it's so easy, right? It's so easy. Yes, yeah, uh, super easy. It's so easy. All you got to do is uh, 24 different things in the right perfect order in one and a half seconds when you're doing it. But uh, so some of the players who you grew up playing with in San Diego, obviously, uh, Guys like Pat Perez, a little older than you, maybe uh, Charlie Hoffman might have been around your age, maybe a touch older too. But who are some of the guys who really made it on tour that you played with? Yeah, so Charlie, both those guys are a little older. Uh, Charlie used to just beat me up, I think, when I was a little kid. I think I was probably like 10. He was maybe 16 or 17, and he was like the real deal. And before him, it was like Chris Riley, right? Chris Riley was yeah. the real deal. There was. I grew up at a course called San Diego Country Club great course kind of down by the border and like, Oh man, there's like rumor on the street is Chris Riley cut this corner and hit a seven iron in here. Then I played golf with Chris Riley. When I turned pro, I was like, I would drive this dude by like 60 yards, man. <laughs> Not a long hitter. Putter. Like that this guy, is, that yeah, guy this made is everything. Like rumor mill. Yeah. This is rumor <laughs> mill, man. And, and uh, so Kevin Stadler was kind of, you know, he was, he was pretty dang good player. He was, uh, he was, you know, maybe a year or two older than me, but, where I started getting, you know, good, really good competitive, where I actually thought I could play colleges is we moved to Texas, Lubbock, Texas, specifically when I was a junior in high school. And although San Diego is like, you know, you can play golf all year long, blah, 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 weather's good, all this other stuff. In Texas, they play golf specifically in high school all year. Like you have fall tournaments and spring tournaments. And Lubbock's a lot smaller town. It was easier to access golf. Uh, could play a bunch of courses close to my house and we play golf every day, man. I mean, the weather's a little dirtier out here, but <laughs> learned how to play in wind, learned how to play in cold, learned how to do all these things and literally play golf every day. Uh, probably when I was about 17 and 18 and, 
and got got really good, won the state championship out here. Um, and guys my age that people might know that were uh, in our conference and our state championship was like Hunter Mahan, Martin Flores. Um, those are kind of, you know, we're all kind of the same age. And I think we won the state championship like back to back to back years. That's three. So that's that's where my golf kind of career happened is out here in, in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, I ended up getting a scholarship to TCU and played golf out there. Yeah, it's pretty heady company that you mentioned there. But the uh, it's just just kind of big picture here, and I want your perspective on junior golf back then versus junior golf now. You obviously you're a you're an instructor. You do a lot of teaching. You do a lot of fun things online too that uh, all our listeners have to go out to see. But what sort of things? What do you like uh, the, the the golf schools that are out there for these juniors and the, the aspiring, you know, they want college scholarships and all that. I mean, you're telling me that, you know, you kind of started in the game, you played once a week, then you started playing a lot more. And, you know, when you moved to Texas, but talk about your, your, your perspective and your view of junior golfers now versus junior golfers back when you were growing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to not, you don't want to pick on, kids and say oh they don't they don't need to be specializing in a sport until they're this year's old you know but but the reality is kids that are good athletes like there's intangibles that some kids just have like I can tell a kid to throw a ball and no matter what some kid that maybe has never played baseball could probably throw a pretty decent right Mm -hmm. or I can say throw a piece of trash into the trash can some people like just have this natural good touch and I think playing all these other sports for kids, especially at a young age, like they just develop things that they're going to learn their whole, whole entire life. Um, and having said that, the technology and stuff now, I think allows kids to, to get better. I mean, man, there was no, like when I was a kid and you know, it's like, man, you got a lesson, like you went home with your VHS, like, and you like, you like watch it. That's what people would do back in the day. Like what my first golf lesson, I was 16. And I remember I probably still have like 20 VHS. I was like, that's when my dad was like, Hey man, you're, you know, not a bad golfer or whatever. Let's take some lessons from someone, you know, other than me. And I remember the VHS, man, I'd go rewind it, watch it. It was like grainy, like, and I mean the grainiest cell phone video you've ever seen in your life is what it looked like. You go watch that. But now it's like, we all got these phones, we have these apps, we have track, man, we have all these other things. And I think that, we have these parameters specifically for kids where we can kind of see pretty early how far they can hit it when they're almost fully developed through some certain things. And it sounds crazy, but that's it. I mean, some kids are just like born ass kicking machines though, right? It's, you know, some people are just competitive. You always have that kid. You always have that, you know, who's ever on tour, some guy, you might be like, man, this guy doesn't hit it really far. He doesn't do whatever, but you know, he's just a grinder. He has heart, all those things. So that's an intangible you can't really teach. And that comes with comes with that. But from teaching, man, and, and, and you might know probably better than me, we just have access to, to all these other things where kids can kids can not really specialize, but just improve a lot faster. Yeah, right. There's there's so many tools at their disposal and uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty spectacular. Some of the, I, I guess it's really narrowed the playing field, if anything, for sure. It's, uh, you know, the, the people who get into the game, they, they definitely know their, their level of knowledge is definitely, uh, is definitely higher on a uh, broad scale than what it used to be. So talk about your time at TCU. Uh, you 
just before, I mean, before you turned pro in 2005, you went to TCU in the early 2000s there. Talk about your time there and who you played with and some of the things you learned and how you really developed as a player there. Yeah. So, you know, when I came in, you know, I was lucky enough. I won the 5A state championship in Texas, which is like the biggest conference, but I wasn't really recruited that much because I didn't play in any big tournaments until I was almost like a senior uh, in, in college really. So, you know, having won that, you'll get an opportunity somewhere. And TC was always a great golf program, Fort Worth. They're always like top 10, but you know, I went there as a true freshman and I ended up redshirting my first year just because the team was really good the year before. And I think they had like two juniors and three seniors or something like that. So I ended up redshirt and played well, would have made quite a few events. And, but I, it was good, man. I, I got to experience the college life. I got used to school schedule being on my own working you know on my game basically by myself and the tcu golf coach bill monagill is a great guy and he'll be the first to tell you man he's not a golf instructor but he treated all of us like pros and i think that helps a lot of guys and i think that hurts some guys i think guys that are kind of like spoon fed as juniors or used to their dad driving them and looking at their swing can't handle that but for me you know, not having an enormous amount of instruction and just being able to kind of dig it out of the dirt, man, I got to play colonial, you know, right across the street. I could play shady Oaks, Mira Vista, all these cool courses every single day. So I would just practice every day. And I got, I got pretty good my freshman year just by red shirting and, and got better, um, kind of year after year after year and, and ended up, you know, all American at, at the end of my time there, we won four conference championships and it was right. awesome. Great, great experience. Really cool place. How about your your uh, understanding of the golf swing? Where did that? Where did the the light bulb really go off for you? You said your dad coached you a little bit, but who are some of your biggest influences? And when did the really the light bulb go off? And like, man, I get the swing now. I understand what I need to do, and I can fix myself on the fly. Because we all all of the listeners on our podcast, we want to understand. How, you know, when things go wrong, how we fix ourselves. But when was that light bulb moment for you? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the hardest, the hardest thing in regards to like playing competitively and teaching at a high level is like realizing that every person is not you, right? That's the hardest part about it. And, you know, I'll watch somebody, I'll be like, oh, this guy's my size, pretty athletic. You know, I was like, what's wrong with, you know, why can't he figure this out? Like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? Um, and, you know, why is this guy's pelvis humping the golf ball in every single swing? I mean, he doesn't get into his car and drive, you know, straight into a fence like he can control something. Right. And but but the reality is that's, that's not the case. Like what people actually feel and what their body can do is is totally different. And I think my communication has really helped me more than anything with with people in regards to relating things to like natural moves, other sports, things like that. Um, I, I just see it all the time where people try to get so technical. They're so worried about what something looks like and it just doesn't breed like consistent results. Right. So even juniors or whatever it is, I teach quite a few kids, a couple that got college scholarships last year, a couple guys playing pro, um, tons and tons of online lessons, almost 90% of my platform switched to online, which is cool, but people have similar issues. It's just figuring out how you're going to fix it for them. Right. And then it's about matchups at the end of the day. It's like, what can I do to get this person in a good matchup where they can play golf? So my knowledge of the swing came from, you know, playing 
competitively, I guess, on web.com, PJ Tour, whatever, kind of uh, for 10 years through that, mostly Corn Ferry, sorry, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Lots yeah, of different yeah. tours. It was called Four Things when I was there, but playing with a <laughs> lot of good guys. Um, and a lot of my knowledge was built through, I started working with, too, with Jim Hardy and, or excuse me, Chris O'Connell specifically, but, you know, Jim Hardy, Playing Truth of Golf, they kind of started that. And, you know, they're with Matt Kuchar and everyone's like, oh, he has a flat swing. Your swing isn't flat, things like that. But those guys have a lot of knowledge just regarding the swing in general. Um, and then now we just have access to so much that I just end up studying it myself. Um, I'm not a good reader. I, I don't want to say I hate reading. I just my reading comprehension level is totally minimal. So like now that we're on the click video age, watching all these things, um, I love watching it and I love watching different people's swings and why they work specifically pro swings. Like no one plays on the PGA tour for consistently that has a bad move, right? There's no, there's no bad swings out there necessarily. Are there some that are better than others? Yeah, for sure, man. You know that, right? There's just some that are better than others, but yeah, but there's a lot of similarities. I got to get your take on uh, what Ricky Fowler is doing right now, specifically before we get into some of the things that that you've done in the game and all that. I I, I got to get your your take on because you said like the difference between pr- you know a pretty or pretty swing or a good looking swing on video versus a swing that functions and and scores and wins. I think about a guy like Ricky Fowler. He's changed the the top of his backswing position quite a bit and and all that. Um have you looked at some of the stuff that he's done and cuz I I think his golf swing like it, it technically it looks better. And it makes me actually think back to a guy like Payne Stewart back in the day, 20, 25 years ago. And I had some understanding of, man, like he, he was trying to work on his swing and it looked really good on video, but he couldn't win with it. And, you know, so we got it a little bit more across the line or whatever it was, maybe not perfect looking, but that was the swing that worked for him. Yeah. So, you know, the first time I saw Ricky hit we used to have a tournament on the corn Ferry tour called the nationwide children's hospitals at the Ohio state scarlet course yeah. there. And they invited like, I think the top, all the first team, all Americans got to play as amateurs or whatever. Right. So I was playing as a pro cause I'm quite a bit older than him, but he was like, you know, the top, I think maybe he was like the two amateur or whatever, you know, first team, all American as a freshman, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, I got to watch this guy's action. And after like, you know, this is a practice round or warming up on the range, but he just starts like roasting drivers off the deck by about his 10th ball. Right. And he had a Sergio type swing, really natural, but like cut it, draw it, all these things. And I was like, I, I get it. Like this kid, just like, you know, he, I'm sure he's had instruction when he was a kid, but he just, one of those guys that has intangible, it was like a Lee Trevino situation. Right. It's like yeah. that dude, his swing is so pure. <laughs> and we tried to teach so many components of his swing, but ain't nobody taught that guy right (laughs) like he had to make it and that's why he did his move just ended up being good hogan on the other hand you know literally dug it out of the dirt he was a duck hooker for a long time but at the same time like i thought man ricky's move is solid looks really good kind of got on the tour pretty quick um after college was competitive and his swing kind of changed i think he got stronger too, but it became more like rotary, right? Big muscle type yeah. swing, not as handsy, it seemed like. And then he's, he was always a nails putter and wedge player. Like he was just one of those guys that with flight irons hit all these cool shots. And then, you know, over time, I don't know if it was a distance thing. I don't know what it was because there was a stretch there for a couple of years where he was top five in every major, 
right? I mean, yeah, Augusta, yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't US miss. Open. It didn't matter. He was top five. He was in contention every one and always putted well. Um, and and I and I think that he's kind of going back really to where kind of like a hybrid, right? Um, I don't mind guys that have super flat swings at all if they match up coming down, right? So I like what he's doing. I think he's competitive. Um, hell of a nice guy. It's just, yeah. you know, yeah, no, no, I, I just I think I, get I, there, man. Yeah, I think about him. I know he's working with Sean Tillery a bit and uh, or uh, John yeah. Tillery, excuse me. And um, and yeah, no, I, I just I think of his golf swing. I think it looks better. Like like it, you know, it looks a little bit more textbook at the top and the transition and all that. But anyway, that was just uh just wanted to wrap about that for a moment. All right. No, well, for sure. So, so we'll get back to a little bit of instruction talk in a second, but I want yeah, to just sure, tell our, talk to our listeners about, about your success in the pro game before you've kind of gotten back into being this, this great instructor that you are and, and this <laughs> online instructor and you have all this, this fun stuff and real good, simple knowledge. But you, you had a run back in 2011 that was uh, not many people have, have had this type of run two weeks in a row on the nationwide tour, now the Corn Ferry Tour. We'll get your ideas about that name in a second. But the uh, two weeks in a row, shot 22 under both weeks, so 44 under combined, 262 strokes each week. You shot uh, 62, a 63, a 64, a 65, 66. Oh, my. I, this is, I just realized this. In these, two, in these two wins, you went for the cycle, brother. 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, and 69 (laughs) in that stretch. I I don't know what you want me to say. I'm really good. Like, it's, it's, (laughs) did you do that on purpose the last day to shoot 69? Just so, (laughs) of course I did. Why wouldn't I do that? Why would, why, why wouldn't, why would I want to only, why would I want to win by more than one? (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a pretty that is unbelievable actually that's that's i just realized that as i was looking at the numbers but uh the first week you won by four over jeff gove second week you actually beat uh four players by one shot at the cox classic the first one was in utah but really that propelled you on to being a leading money winner that year player of the year and boom you're on the pga tour like you're you're in the big show talk about that time in your life and and the excitement that you had. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was on the, the corn Ferry tour for three years and I never played bad, kept my card every year and you had to finish top 60 at the time. So I was in the top 60, my first three years, I got out there after missing a Q school a couple of times, got in my third time out there three. So I guess I've been pro for five years at this point. Um, but I missed at Q school finals the year before by a shot. Right. I didn't play bad. Six. It was when you could still get your PJ tour card. Six rounds, just total grind. Remember, it was freezing cold, man, whatever. Missed by a shot. But I wasn't really disappointed. And the reason is like that's when I started working with with Chris, Chris O'Connell yeah. um, about, man, maybe like maybe like beginning of October. So I knew I'd been playing well or whatever. Um and I wasn't really disappointed going into the next season. Like it was different, right? It was like just missing by one. Yeah. I think I, I started working with him. I had like a seventh and then made the cut and tour championship, whatever, not bad. Um, and I started the the corn Ferry tour off season. You know, I was positive frame of mind or whatever. And I think I made the first six cuts solid couple top tens or, or, you know, maybe top twenties or whatever it was. And then everything just started clicking. I was never a great iron player because I never understood, I, I could always hit drivers and wedges, 
And I was, I think I was always like top 10 or 15 in driving distance and I could always hit a wedge, but like he was the, I really learned a lot from him because I was, I was hitting flip hooks, man. You know what I mean? Like that's why I was top 10 or 15 in driving distance. That's why I could hit wedges. I was hitting, I was flipping everything. (laughs) And I really learned kind of like how to get the club back on plane on the downswing. And I became a great iron player. Like I, I went from in the, you know, the stats, they don't, we didn't have the data back then, especially out there that they do now, but I, I went from hitting a considerable amount more greens and I was always a pretty good putter. Well, that's a big difference. Like those mid irons, the PJ tour is a mid iron tour, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the corn Ferry tour is a mid iron tour. Cause you have a bunch into par fives and you want to stick it on par threes. Everybody's birdie in the short holes out there. And it's, it's man, something just clicked there. Won a couple times back to back, and my dad catting for me like my daughter's first birthday the first time was awesome wow. in Salt Lake, and then uh, won the next week. Missed the cut the week after that, and it, it was I was kind of tired, but it wasn't like I played that. I think I shot three or four under. It was one of those corn fairy tour situations where the cut was like six under, <laughs> and then I was leading the next week going into the last day. So so I almost had that. I think it was twenty under through three rounds and made a triple or something, some carny situation with like two holes left and maybe finished third or fourth. But played solid, man. I think I had like seven top fives that year with a couple wins, and it just clicked. Things like that. And and on the PGA Tour the next year, I played in everything, dude. I mean, I like that I got into because I finished first. So you get into everything except the yep. majors, basically. Yeah. That's what I said. I said, I'm just going to take the majors off. I'm going to do like everything else. I'll take the majors off this next year. So yep. played in everything, whatever, maybe made like 17 cuts. And I hurt my neck like somewhere through that. And then it hurt my shoulder. I ended up having a shoulder surgeries in like 2013 and 14. Mm. And I didn't really feel bad, but one was like a rotator cuff situation. Another was like some joint damage. And it's just like, I got beat up, man. I just got beat up. So that yeah. was that was like a hot little stretch coming in hot, and then I left kind of hot also. Interesting. Yeah. The yeah the 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 physical nature of the of playing golf, and I mean, look, it's one thing to just go play golf at your local course, but it's another thing to to hop on a plane every week and or be in a car and travel and do all that and the you know the wear and tear on the body with with all the traveling and the practicing and the playing. I mean, it's a lot to balance, isn't it? I mean, were you, I mean, physical fitness wise, was that part of your regimen at all? Did you, did you get in the gym or was there, was that kind of, did you not do that a lot? Oh no, I was horrible. I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think I ever worked out or stretch and I think I drank a lot of beer. So that basically is probably, that, that'll t- probably tie you to a shoulder surgery. That's the cocktail for shoulder surgery. If anybody wants to, to experience that out there. So, but it, you know, whatever I, I was always athletic. My body always felt good. I never was hurt. Well, broke my arm playing football, but that was, that wasn't really my fault, but I was never really hurt my whole life. Um, and then it's like stuff just wears on you. And then man, and I don't know if you've had any, you know, played through any major pain or surgery or, or whatever, but it's like, sometimes when something hurts, like it gets in your head and like you have that built in excuse and it's just no way to play either. So like in yeah. 13, I think I went out, I think I went out after this shoulder surgery and played a handful of corn Ferry tour events in 2013, but I was just like sore shoulder it was in my head before I teed off. My attitude sucked, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I really did have something wrong, but it's just a tough way to go about it out there. Um, but man, I learned, I learned a lot. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for, for anything. 
I think that I uh, really didn't change a whole lot compared to what I did in 2011 to 2012, other than um, just didn't have as, as good of a year then. Yeah, it's just a break a break here or there. I we had uh, in the last couple episodes of our podcast, we had Michael Muir on, and he probably I guess he played a little bit. He's from Washington D.C. now, but he played a touch before you did. But he talked about a time where there's just like this kind of make or break time um, in in a career where you kind of you you take a break and run with it, or you take a break the other way and. And it it's 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 just so hard because there's so few spots out on the big tour. When uh, now I know we we met uh, really for the first time not too long ago last year when we when during the uh, Monday qualifying for the Wyndham Championship, uh, really in Winston Salem, North Carolina, right down the road from Greensboro where they play the event. But um, you know, talk about where you're, where you are now with your game. I know you, you know, you're still trying to get in some Mondays and what kind of, you know, status, if any, do you have out there and, and where do you see the next few years going with you and, and, you know, talk, let's, and we can break that into some, uh, instruction and stuff too. Yeah, for sure, man. So I had, and it's not because I took a medical or anything, but I had a year of corn fairy tour status left. Right. And it was going to expire. So in 2018, I had to go to Q school just to activate it. And it's not good. That, I mean, it's just like, basically I have status. Right. So I go to Q school to try to improve it. Hadn't played a tournament in literally four years. Didn't play great. Activated it. So I had the old Monday shooter status. Um, and then my last year was 19 of my status. If I didn't do anything well, you know, COVID hit all these other things. They prolonged everybody for a year. Um, and at the time the PGA of America has this cool program for, uh, players kind of a reciprocal deal. If you've made a hundred cuts, I think, um, you can do that. So knowing that if I didn't get, you know, through or my card or, or anything like that and, and, uh, wanted to play competitively. That was a good route for root route. Everyone to say, man, um, for me. So I'm in that level three, I actually had a test today, man. So I'm almost, I'm almost through that level three stuff. Really great. Okay. uh, Yeah. So that's good. So I'm almost finished with that. And I do Monday qualifiers when I can, especially because like the PGA tour ones, I don't have to do the pre queue. So for a hundred bucks, sneak in and play for 7 million. That's never a horrible thing. Um, (laughs) so I'm basically just doing those the rest of the year, uh, see if I can make magic happen. If not, I'll have this, my PGA done with the other stuff, basically teaching full-time. It's tough, man. I do like 10 things right now at 10%. That's kind of like my life. Um, so, I mean, I'm committed to playing well, playing good golf, things like that, but just teaching so much. We had a business out here in Lubbock, Texas, uh, just ended up selling it recently, but Mm -hmm. you know, golf entertainment center. Um, I was GM at it for six to nine months or so last wow. year. Yeah. So just a lot like learning, you know, food and beverage, man, all these other things. Um, we're building a golf course. We've got a golf course project going on right now with King really? Collins Golf. Really? Tell, yeah, tell us about that. Called Red Feather. Yeah. So uh, one of my good buddies, his name is Brad Ralston. Um, you know, Lubbock, Texas has 300,000 and change or so. Tech kind of known for tech, Texas Tech, really. But the town itself you know, has grown quite a bit over the years, really a need for uh, a new course kind of uh, in the area where the town's growing. So he's, he's a big time golf guy and um, 
wanted to make something happen. I kind of knew the King Collins guys introduced them and uh, it's called Red Feather Golf Club. Look at my Twitter, Instagram, stuff like that. Uh, it's uh, JJ Colleen TCU on Twitter and you can see uh, sometimes I'll retweet it or just follow the Red Feather Golf Club. And you can look at some of that stuff and it's cool, man. Really cool design. It's kind of old school St. Andrew style. Like every fairway is kind of connected really, you know, tee boxes looks like they're in fairways. It's, it's really an old school place. Shorter. It's like we, we, we made it or not. We King Collins, we've kind of talked to him a smaller piece of property, 130 acres. It's 6,999, man. Just to like prove a point that you can make something good with <laughs> we're 6,999 with a par five that could play 700. We have a 90, we, ha- I think we have a 99 yard hole and a 707, uh, a couple drivable holes. It's just a great mix That's great. Uh, of holes, how long they can play. And it's, it's, it's awesome. It's cool. So hopefully I can help. Yeah any way I can with that process. But yeah, my buddy Brad's done a good job here, you know, still, still a way, a long ways to go to get everything done. That's a massive undertaking building a course, but it's fun, man. It really yeah, well, is. When will that be done? Uh, hopefully, hopefully start some dirt work and stuff here next year. Um, and, and hopefully get something going, um, have the plans and have all those things. So, there's just, there's just a lot that goes into it <laughs> right yeah. now. So just, just, just working through a couple other things and hopefully, hopefully can, can get something started on it. But, um, big time golfing community out in, out in West Texas, um, just Texas in general, you know, and he hasn't been here, I don't know, for a long time, but like Sean O'Hare grew up in, in Lubbock, Ryan Palmer's from right up the road, Amarillo, Chad Campbell's from right down the road and Andrews, Texas, yeah. um, so a bunch of guys, bunch of guys out here, man, that learn how to play in this flat, flat dust storm, make it happen. <laughs> well, I want to let you go here in one second, but before we do uh, our silver club podcast, our listeners really are, you know, they're avid amateurs. Our, our, our society itself is all about single digit to plus handicap amateurs who love to compete. Uh, you obviously have competed on so many levels and have had so much success uh, you know, you can put your instructor hat on or you can put your player hat on or wh- whichever hat you want to wear. But uh, talk to us about maybe a, two or three things that that a, you know, turns a player who's a three or four handicap into a into a scratch or plus handicap. Talk to us about those maybe a couple details that uh, that really separate those last few of the hardest shots really to shave off your handicap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this kind of goes into the category too, with a lot of good high schoolers are teach that want to play college golf, really. I mean, goes without saying, you got to, you got to be a plus handicap and go deep to play college golf. And I think the biggest, the biggest part is eliminate big numbers that goes without saying, but we have this data and stuff like that that we can look at now. And, you know, I can, we can straight up pull stuff off the tour and look at their averages and they actually have data parameters for guys that are plus. So, you know, some people just maybe they're older, whatever it is, they might not be able to hit to bomb it anymore. But, you know, eight feet, for example, is, is essentially 50% on the PGA tour. It's like you grind on these eight footers right here, you become like 58%. That's better than PGA tour average. So I promise you that's better than someone that's a plus three average. Here's your chance, you know, to really get in here. The proximity to the hole from 150 to 200 is X. Like this is where you're really good. Let's get a little better right here you know, let's, let's make it happen. So I think having these goals set using the data and stats that are available, um, 
really help. And then I think it, it kind of helps design a practice plan for players in general. It's not just like, I need to hit it better, period, end of story. Well, yeah, everyone knows you need to hit it better. Like every, every Ben Hogan wishes he would have hit it better, right? And he was striping <laughs> it every single day. But let's get better right here. And this is where you can, realistically, this is where you can make it happen. I don't think you want to, you know, sleep in a hyperbaric chamber eating whatever that Bryson DeChambeau does 56 times a day to get swole and hit bombs. A lot of people probably don't have time for that or have $16,000 a day to eat whatever kind of extract from some rare plant on a different planet or whatever he's eating. I don't know what's (laughs) happening, man, but that dude had his plan. He stuck with it and he hits bombs, right? To a smaller scale, kind of a microcosm of that, we can say, hey, our plan is to be this percentage from this distance from the hole. And it sets a goal. And it's it's shocking, man, how much people improve and how much more they concentrate when they have like a goal, a measurement in their mind to try to beat. So it's not just I'm going to get better. It's like, here are your goals to getting better. And here's a number that says if you are or not. How are we going to measure? That was a yeah, lot. That, Sorry. Yep. That was no, that's great. No, I love it. I mean, <laughs> look, you I know you could talk golf all day as I could, but uh we're going to we're going to conclude this podcast here with we got to find out uh well, I got a couple questions. I'm going to talk about your your Twitter here for a second. You're you're a hilarious Twitter follow. It's at TCU, the West Texas Driving Range Pro. Uh, 13 and a half thousand followers out there. I know you're going to have at least, uh, you know, 15,000 after you're on this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But the, uh, your, your favorite Twitter follow, I know you're one of the most popular, funny golf Twitter follows out there. What, who's your favorite Twitter follow? Your Twitter's good, man. I, I like now uh, let's get real we, let's get it's real crazy no but we, we don't like you said we just met a couple couple months ago you're just solid i mean from like a comedy standpoint this is you know oh well he's he's a real he's a real human i know it because he don't because he helped with a miata and sponsored a hole at the carney cup the tournament i hosted here but club pro guy is one of my all-time faves on there i mean it goes without saying and you know that right you know club uh, pro guy i know that he's beautiful so that's 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 hard not to put him way up the list right um it's you know as far as just content in general i love ryan's accounts good the monday q info like you know i mean he's 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 created a platform for kind of a something that people have heard of but they're really digging deep into the depths of what it's all about right so the that's the monday qualifying scene yeah his 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 account and his content's great um I, I like i like a lot of it i mean it, you know a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys playing on tour you have to have a filter, man, when you're playing full time and not because you're like, you know, uptight or whatever, but you know, you're playing on the PGA tour. You don't want to offend anybody by accidentally saying whatever me on the other hand, at this point with conditional corn fairy tour status and my body feeling like it's falling apart, I can probably pop off a little more than those guys. <laughs> you, got, but, you got less to lose, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. There's good, they're good stuff, man. And like, I'm a huge golf course architecture fan. So uh, I think it's called Jay Liebert picks, uh, uh, links, gems, just, they just have great pictures of golf holes and, and, and content like that, that, that I like watching. And then on, on Instagram, I think teaching wise, I think George Gank is super innovative. Uh, Jeff Smith, there's, Man, the the list is long, but their stuff's good and they're real. It's real, right? Like it's not like stiff, 46 degrees underneath. It's like, dude, 
you're humping the golf ball. Like, let's fix that immediately. Right. I mean, there's, there's different, they, they just relate. They like relate to, to what's going on. It's like half my drills are done with beer cans. It's like, dude, you spill the beer in this point right here. Boom. You're flipping the club. Don't do that anymore. So you just got to relate to people, man. Yeah. It's so great. It's so great. Well, look, I, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your, your wisdom. Follow this man on Twitter, JJ clean TCU, uh, West Texas driving range pro. Can we get a lesson? Like can, who can get a lesson from you? You say you have this online platform. Yeah. So what I do, if you guys go to my Twitter, actually, we have a couple of things. I have WTDRP, me and Wade Fullingham is a great teacher here in town. We created that. So we actually have a membership page where you can go get all these drills, uh, kind of my personal online lessons. Um, go to my Twitter profile, my email, uh, is in my profile, yep, jcoin yep. at golfcom Shoot me a couple videos. I'll, I analyze everything back drills, it's a Venmo, PayPal type stuff, but been knocking out a bunch of those. It's really cool. We all have these cameras in our pockets now. So you can, even if you're taking a swing in your living room or whatever it is, um, I'll make you better. I'll change your life. Probably not for the better. Well, <laughs> you changed our life today by being on the Silver Club podcast. JJ Colleen, thanks so much for your time and your wisdom. Can't wait to see what else you got coming down the pipeline here on uh, in the social media world and in the real world too. So uh, thanks, JJ. Thanks for having me on. Many thanks to JJ Colleen for joining us on our Silver Club podcast, the final one for 2020. Pay attention to what our Silver Club Golfing Society is doing as we zoom into 2021. And we thank you so much for paying attention to what we're doing and where we're going. Don't forget to subscribe and download each and every episode of the Silver Club Podcast. We've had some tremendous guests along the way and future ones you're not going to want to miss. We hope each and every one of you have a happy, safe, and healthy holiday season. Look forward to seeing you in 2021.